Marketing is the cultivation of desire at scale versus all suffering derives from desire. To me, like when, when I think of, of suffering, I, I don't necessarily think of it as a, as a bad thing. Execution eats strategy for breakfast is what Brad says on his LinkedIn profile and I couldn't love it more. What we did is we, uh, to Grubhub food delivery service, um, partnered together with Final Fantasy XIV. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. So, you know, hold on to your seat, man. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Skins Agency Podcast. Today, I'll be using this chance to talk to someone whose work actually grabbed my attention quite fast. And like many of you, in fact, this is the first time I'm meeting the person. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to go through quite some questions. But before I start with that, um, I want to introduce Bradley Hoos. Brad is the CEO of the Outloud Group, um, which is a inf leading influencer marketing agency. And they've actually worked with some of the companies that we know a lot about. So starting from Grubhub to Fiverr to Wix to Athletic Greens. I mean, these are just, just great brands. And, and I want to learn a lot from Brad about this. But besides that, Brad is actually quite active and you'll see his work featured in the USA Today, Cheddar. Um, he writes a lot in Forbes and I've read a lot of his articles lately, so do tune into that. Uh, and also Fox News. Um, together, we'll, we'll try to explore some of these challenges that I myself have had and I keep finding myself into as I'm building brands and as Brad has built a lot of influencer marketing and worked on that. Um, so with that said, Brad, thank you so much for joining Lert, appreciate you having me here. Excited to dive in. There's there's a lot of good things we can uh, we can get into. I suspect some trouble we can find too. Oh yeah, I'll I'll put you on the spot. So you know, hold on to your seat, man. <laughs> but I'll start I'll start easy. I just want to clarify, and I'll start this. You know, I'll try to start with this question for as long as I can. Like, what is branding to you? Well, it's interesting. I mean, that, I think that's actually a pretty tough question to to answer in in a lot of ways. Because um, because ultimately your brand is different from branding. But let, let me before I answer branding, start with the brand, right? The, the the brand is what customers and prospective customers are saying about you and what they believe ab about you, not what you say about yourself, right? So let's start right away. It's it's not about how you're positioning yourself. It's what people believe about your your organization, whatever it may be. So the the question in in terms of branding. I think is is really trying to figure out how you can impact people's hearts and, and minds. And there's so many different ways you can connect with individuals. And I think that's what makes branding such a such a fun and nuanced and, and really in-depth in topic. But, you know, in, in short, it's impacting the reputation um, that, that exists out there. And I think it's a focused effort to ensure that your target audience has a clear, consistent, and positive view of, of your company and, and its product and, and services. So anything you're trying to do along those lines um, is is branding. And so it's a, a long answer to a question, but I, I, I like to live in analogies a lot myself. So, you know, for, for me, I think I think a lot, one of the, one of the things that really resonates with me is, uh, is around like leadership is it's not what, especially if you think about a larger organization, it's not what the CEO says. It's what people who are actually doing stuff every day believe. And so you know, what the analogy I love is, okay, executives at a manufacturing company say, hey, this is, this is our new strategy, whatever it may be. 
And those managers need to communicate it out to the foreman, right? And then so the, the foreman listen to this, understand it. And then the, what happens next is when the rubber hits the road. So when it's 2 a.m. on a shift break and the foreman is talking with a worker, what are they saying? Are they saying, this is the new strategy that we're taking, we believe in it, and this is why we're doing it? Or are they saying, this is some bullshit from corporate that we just have to do, don't really pay attention to it, but no, we're gonna have to do these two two things differently, but it's just a bunch of corporate bullshit. And and ultimately that's, that's a, you know, if you're effective with your leadership, you're having a positive conversation at 2 a.m. between the foreman and the workers, and if you're not, you know, you're, you're having that uh, a, a negative conversation. And so similarly with, with branding, there's so many ways you can do it, but ultimately you know if it's working or not based upon what your customers are saying and believing about your about your brand. That That's quite interesting because, so I'll, I'll take this into in two aspects. One, you know, you're, if I get you right, you're saying, you know, and you mentioned this, Branding is that what you're trying to do with branding is get that positive, um, close a positive feedback loop with your customers. Um, but the way that I would see branding from a branding agency, uh, we see this a lot as if we're building a brand and if we're doing anything that's related to branding, then we should think of the personality. So besides having a positive attitude around it, that or attitude or feedback around it, that should also be tied to a particular type of thinking about it because positive could be anything but the personality brings in the nuance to the to the to the um idea of what that company is doing right i'll i'll, I'll i need to put that on the side because i'm going to come exactly back to that into something that you said specifically in one of your articles because i was so struck by that but i think by the means of how you define your brand, you've already started answering that question, and I love this. So I'll, I'll put that to the side. But to your point, though, how well do all of these people sort of relate to what's being said and what's being done about the brand? In my previous conversation with Bettina Binder, who's um, who used to be head of brand at Allianz, she says, or we came to this sort of conversation where we're saying, well, if you could get your customers to be your employees and your employees to be your customers, then you're doing something right. Do you think this is more or less what you were what you were going for as well, or or is it somewhat different? No, I, I think I think it's a very similar train of thought, um, and and this gets into another topic which we could delve into if we want to, however you want to take it. But you know. Should should your employees be what you're what you're working to optimize for as a, a leader, or should it be your customers? Right. Obviously, at the end of the day, you you want it to be you want it to be your customers. Um, but you know, what's what's the best way to to be able to to go about that is through your your team or your employees. But yeah, I think you, you it's it's really important when you're talking about your your customers and your your team to have them both understand know and believe in in your brand but of course like you've got to crystallize what that is which isn't easy to do and i think the part that folks struggle with the most is knowing what you're not or knowing what you'll say no to and we see that with startups and brands alike is just knowing knowing who you are and who you are not and if you can do that you know it's it's going to make branding so much easier and you're going to be a heck of a lot more effective with it as well so so then what would you be your favorite branding project so far and i'll call it branding just because i know that you work with influencer marketing but 
ultimately that is building that conversation. So what's your favorite project so far? Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, it's it's a little bit like trying to say which uh, which one of your kids is your is your favorite. I'm fortunate; I only have one, so it's really easy for me to say Marin is definitely my my favorite kid. But um, yeah, I think one one of the things that so for for it to be my favorite, I think it has to be something novel and it has to be something you know effective. And and I think one of the things that we did with Grubhub, who you mentioned earlier, uh, we did it within the, the gaming right, so the esports. Um, and, and, and gaming community, um, and we, we activated around uh, an event called the Game Awards. So, uh, the Game Awards is a massive event, big, way bigger than the Emmys and the Oscars. It's something like 10x in terms of the, the viewership online, but it's designed to celebrate the gaming industry as a, as a whole. And so, what we did is we, we so Grubhub food delivery service um, partnered together with Final Fantasy 14. Uh, so it was a new game launch that was happening just around the time period of, of the Game Awards, which which was great, and that was there, there was a huge element of, of luck associated with that as well. But you know, the, the harder you work and more thoughtful you are, the luckier you get, right? And so as 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 part of this um, launch around the Game Awards, um, we were able to give something to the gaming community, um, which was a moat. It was a, a pizza, basically, like yeah. A, 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 a skin in the game is the the way to, to to think about if you're not into into gaming, and the audience loved it. So all they needed to do was to make a purchase uh, through Grubhub, and uh, you know did uh, did really did really well as a, as a campaign. And where I think it's fun now is that you can still find these emotes and buy them on on YouTube or excuse me on uh, on eBay, and they're they're still around. And what was cool about this. From a, from a branding perspective, is that was really a way that a brand added value to their audience. And it was a way that the audience would continue to interact with that brand in a positive way. So you have this long-term positive sentiment as people continue to play Final Fantasy fourteen and they have the Grubhub emote, and it's just something cool and novel and fun. And, and the, you know, the gaming industry is such a, I think, under marketed segment right now as as well and I, so i think there's a lot of opportunity there so i think if, if i had to pick pick one project that that would probably um be be at the top of uh top of my list of of, of really cool things that we've had a chance to work on so so you actually mentioned here something that so i haven't had a lot of experience with influencer marketing right um i, I work on before we start working. So I work on the strategy of the brand. We do a lot of research, but it's not like we take take on marketing efforts later. And one of the things that I've struggled to understand from afar is like, how do influencers play a role in the brand itself? Because the way that I see brand most of the time is this sort of long-term um, relationship with the customers. And influencers seem to usually play a role in this like short-term, you know, campaign-based um, in fact, you just mentioned that actually, in this case, it did play a role for a longer period relationship building with the customers. So can you just like clarify to me, um, what is the relation between the impact of, of the influencers in a campaign versus in the brand as a whole? Yeah, there is no one size fits all uh, answer to that. And I think it's a, I think it's a great question. Because I, I, if you were a brand asking me that, I would say, well, how are you using an influencer? So there's definitely brands that 
and we've we've done some of this this work, um, really cool stuff where you can actually have products um, that are the namesake of the influencers that are rolled out. So stick with the Grubhub example, right? There's no reason you couldn't have specific meals, you know, from from a popular you know chain restaurant that you know get. Give me the alert meal, right, from Buffalo Wild Wings, right? And you can only get get that on Grubhub, by the by the way. Or you can, if it's a you know a subscription box, well, you could have a box that for that one month that's that's named after the the creator or the creator curated everything. So I think there's ways that the creator becomes part of the brand as as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be an, an equity arrangement, but there's some creative things that you can do. And there's also just a long-term partnership where a creator continues to talk about the the brand, and and I think that really does does matter in terms of helping to define the brand in part based upon the creators that you're you're connecting with. I think that's that's important. Um, you know, certainly influencers work in terms of a direct response or performance or growth campaign, whatever we want to call it. But where hey, they're they're showing for the the product or service, and they're getting they're they're getting purchases, and that's that's fantastic, as as well. Um, and and that can be a little bit shorter term. It's interesting, you know, getting into more nuance, probably more than you want. Like, yeah, YouTube has a very long tail. When you post a video, for all practical purposes, it's it's on YouTube forever. So we'll see long tails of views on content, particularly science or top of the intelligence content, vlogs, not so much, but you, you, you see this content on YouTube that stays up for a long time and can continue to get views and maybe it goes dormant for a year or two and then a thread of Reddit pops and suddenly you're getting a lot more more views. So that's that can be really powerful, like even a single piece of content can have an impact for, for a long time versus if you're working on something that's ephemeral on, on Snapchat or Instagram stories, um, then you know, the impact uh, on the brand is so inherently short term because that, that content only only lives for for so long. There's always exceptions, but um, but but that's that's something I think to to be aware of. So typically speaking, long term engagements with influencers bring them closer to the brand or creative activations where the influencer is woven into the brand versus short term. Like, hey, use this product or service. That's more of like a, a sales channel. But even that can turn into something, you know, lo- longer term over over time. So I think there there can be a, a distinction. And, and one last thing, and sorry, this is a long winded answer, is that there's there's a big difference between brand advocacy and brand voice. So the the distinction is when you are a marketer, when you're creating a brand. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, right? You're creating brand voice, right? What what are the colors that we use? How do we speak? What are the words we say? What are the words we don't say? What's the pentameter with which we speak when we communicate, right? There's a lot that goes into it. But in most cases, when you're here with an influencer, you need to throw that shit out the window because you're bringing influencers who are brand advocates, right? So they don't need to be speaking in brand voice to be able to be successful in terms of building your brand, right? And I think that's something that's very important to know. So that's where a lot of folks and leaders in marketing can get tripped up because they've done a great job with that brand voice and that's good. Like that's that's not a negative thing, but you, what you don't want to do is try to apply that to brand advocacy and expect the same results because it'll just be awkward and forced and inauthentic and all, all the things. 
and, and this was exactly meant to be my next next question just because of this very issue like when we're building a brand we're really trying to at least control the narrative for a while for insofar as we can right and you know we tend to be reluctant to spend money in something that will disturb that that flow of information going out there but then it comes exactly to your point on authenticity because if we're giving our influencers a script to read from then it's just like it's so obvious and we've had a couple of cases here so there's this you know kind of like a, a meme site that keeps on throwing content um which is absolutely hilarious, but you can always feel like at least at the beginning, because I used to follow them like from the from their very early sort of followers. And um, at, at the beginning, when they started getting these, you know, they were trying to do these promoted um, sort of posts and memes and, you know, um, it was like you could feel it right away. And people kept commenting like, oh, sponsor, sponsored. Right. But now actually they've grown. And when you read their like they managed to, to bring together their content with whoever they're promoting so well because instead of actually promoting them they're always making jokes about them but in a very lighthearted way and i just feel like we've all now become a community of like having the jokes with those brands whereas we're building that connection with a brand through their voice but from a, a, again from a branding perspective i'm always like oh damn like we're gonna get into trouble or someone's gonna get into trouble for saying that and they're still paying that influencer to say those things right so it's very tough to build that that um, consistent brand voice but also make sure that the conversation of the people who you're partnering with is still within the same sort of bounds of what you're trying to sell, so to say. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I also took a long time with this, but, but that was great that you brought it up. Yeah, no, I, I, I like where we're going with that because I, I do think it, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. And, and I think a true relationship um, between a brand and a creator happens when we're not looking at deliverables in a very contractual basis and and that's i think what you're talking about is when there's a brand and a creator intertwined enough where people people know what's what's happening and get the, the sponsors like a part of the broader community and they can make jokes about it or they might defend the brand in in other scenarios and and i think that's great right like one of the things i i believe is you don't want 80 percent of the people to like you you want to find 20 percent of the people to love you right and so if you find these people who love you like i kind of like i don't give a shit how they love me or what they say or how they go about it like if i've got this people this community of people who who love me like that's that's a huge win for the brand because they're actually going to be advocating for you and talking about you because like to me the, the worst thing for a brand isn't people saying negative things about it, it's people being apathetic towards them. And so if you've got these passionate community of people saying things, and maybe it's not the most perfect thing that they're they're saying, but it's real and it ultimately is positive, like that's that's pretty freaking powerful. Yeah, well, you saying that and, and going to apathy and, and this emotional connection is gonna get me to put you on the spot right now. So I'll, I'll start first of all by, by knowing what I'm doing because on your LinkedIn, there's this, and we just had a joke earlier with Gleok as well here. It was like, execution eats strategy for breakfast is what Brad says on his LinkedIn profile. And I couldn't love it more. But Brad, I'm going to talk about strategy because in one of your articles in, in, in Forbes, you talk about why influencer marketing is so damn powerful. You talk about 
the psychological sort of underpinnings that make this type of strategy very powerful when we communicate with people and especially in this emotional aspect right when we detail like when we build this emotional connection to our audience through influencer influencers and you mentioned like cultural conformity power and control informational social influence personal connection and desire to help others as these core sort of values that an influencer brings intrinsically to the table when we're communicating with our audience now what's kind of funny is that there's this study by the university of pennsylvania i, I read a while ago and it talks about the fundamental motives like the, the evolutionary fundamental motives for purchase behavior among others mentioning affiliation which you've mentioned as well status pretty much and what you've sort of touched as well mate retention and kin care again similar to what you mentioned as these core fundamental motives now being very pragmatic pushing for execution doesn't mean that we shouldn't strategize and especially you and exactly you're talking about apathy and you know fighting apathy through that connection with the audience means that we really need to talk about the strategy of it but the point is if we really know so well what we're doing to the audience then or at least from a psychological level then where do we stand as human beings orchestrating it can you just expand on these concepts first and then i'll, I'll go into like more specific questions yeah yeah so let me let me take a take a shot at this because i think there's there's a lot yeah here with that so there there's a lot of different fundamental motives for personal behavior right kind of like you you were saying and when we take that and apply it in marketing um i i think there's a lot of different things that we can appeal towards right and so i think there's there's things we could get into in terms of what's what's good about that or what's bad about that. But I think in, in terms of appealing to, to humans, I think ultimately we tend to be emotional creatures. And even in a sales process, right? Forget about influencer for a second. People buy things from people that they like, right? If you don't like someone, it's going to be really hard to buy something from them. And and that ultimately is sort of an emotional decision, Right. Um, because you're not saying, well, what, how could it benefit me or what's the most value? You're trying to make sure you're continuing to interact and tie yourself to people and things that, that you that you like. So whether we admit it or not, um, we, we make decisions with our emotions and then we justify those decisions with, with our reasoning a, a, a lot of times. And, and I think sort of bring this into the influencer bit a little bit. Uh, as as well, there's there's this concept of mimetic desire, right? And it's we want to be like other humans, and and not in a like I can't develop my own identity type of way, but in a shortcut towards thinking and trying to figure out what to go, right? So a lot of us have heard of these sort of mirroring signals that we would give in a conversation right so if you start speaking really slow i'm probably going to speak a little bit slower if you lean in to a conversation i'm probably going to lean in if you cross your legs i'm more likely to cross my legs right so we sort of mirror things and so i think when when it comes to to marketing i think there's a ton of power in folks deciding to follow an influencer right and so when we when we 
decide to click that follow button, there's actually a lot psychologically that that goes with that. And it's saying, hey, I'm, I'm part of this tribe. And, and a lot of times part of it is like, hey, I, I, I see you as a model for what I want to want to look at and what I want to be. And so I think you have that emotional need as humans to connect at, you know, at being being social creatures. You mentioned kin care, I think. And it's like, yeah, we're saying we're, we're together as as part of that kin. And I think that influencers is is really a result of some of those like it's a modern reflection of those timeless those timeless i guess de- desires inside of inside of us as is human so i think that it's is a really fascinating topic and there's there's a lot that that's that's there with it but ultimately it's yeah what what are how are we making decisions and how are we trying to you know bet, better ourselves and i think marketing that can tap into that understanding is going to be more successful well i mean i, I think we've We've seen a lot of a lot of very successful marketing campaigns because people behind them were very knowledgeable about these things. Um, my question is, you know, how do we how do we make sure that our decisions as people behind these brands are actually ethical? You know, where do I? Because it's easy for me to help a company. Well, easy, right? <laughs> It's not easy, but let's just say for a second that am I, if I were um, highly uh, sort of knowledgeable about these issues and putting them into practice, it would be easy for me to help brands scale very rapidly. However, understanding that we live in a society where, you know, consuming is extremely important and it, it has become sort of closer and closer to our hearts and we're sort of almost detaching from a lot of other things that actually make our lives better. Us, as the people who are pushing these brands, where is our ethical and moral sort of compass? Where, how do we, how do we deal with that? Or if I, if I were to put this into like a very pragmatic sense, have you have had a case where you said, oh damn, like I can do this, but should I? I think here's the framework that I would think about this is we need to understand all these tools I shouldn't say tools. We need to understand all these inherent desires and underpinnings to you know human psychology and how we operate as, as humans. And then we have a choice, right? We have a choice. Do we use that for marketing or do we use that for manipulation? And I, I think you can choose to do either one, right? To, to me, marketing is a way to use a series of tools and approaches to find new ways to connect. Actually, it doesn't have to be new ways, but to find ways to connect with with people and, and educate them. And manipulation is to trick people into to doing to doing things, right? So it might be creating a, a, a FOMO for someone and making them think that a subpar product is really going to going to help them or to get them to buy something that they really can't afford. But but I think you, you can market to, to folks in a way for them to understand how something will, will benefit them and their desires and not do it in a way that's going to manipulate them. And so 
um, you know, it, it, it's pretty tough if you want to use that definition of marketing versus manipulation. If, if you have a product that's inherently not good for someone, like cigarettes, right? Like, it, would there be a way to market cigarettes? But in, in my definition, probably not. You're manipulating someone to do that, right? To to maybe play off your in, insecurities, right? And so here's this toxic masculinity of, you know, dropping boulders in the back of pickup trucks or horses running free, right? Whatever the case is, it's like we're now creating this artificial definition. Like to, to me, there's there gets to be a lot of um, manipulation in in that. But I think there's, there's a way, um, and there's a lot of ways actually, to be able to understand customers and who are people, right? Understand people, what they want, what their desires are, and find ways to connect with them, to educate them on your product and to help to understand the value and why they should, why they should want it. Like, I think that's, that's, that's powerful um, and, and, and positive, but you know, there's, there's a lot of folks out there that would say that they're marketers, but ultimately they're just trying to, to manipulate someone into to buying something for, for a win in the, in the near term. Yeah, but how do we know that we're not that people, those people? Because so one of these big challenges when it comes to ethics, and I've, I've tried to look into a bit of philosophy of it, but, you know, the road to hell is paved in good intentions, right? <laughs> so I hope I, I quoted that right. By the way, I have to, to say it out loud for the audience out there. I'm not a native speaker, and some of these sayings do make sense, but then I won't re sort of remember them word by word. So I hope I said that right. But You did. You did as far as I know. Right. And so, like, sure, we might think we're doing that, but let's let's go like and again, this is like a big conversation. But if we go a couple of years back, we thought cigarettes weren't that bad because because, you know, doctors would say they're fine. Um, and even without going there, should we actually go into like every product that we take on as a customer, test it out? But then again, I'm just judging that product from my perspective. So how do I know if it's actually good for the person I'm marketing it to, am I manipulating them? Like, how the hell do I do this? Because honestly, I, I have no clue. Right, right. No, I, I think like, hey, are you, are you educating someone or are you trying to force them to, not force them, or, or are you only sharing partial information to try to get them to, to make, a, make a purchase, right? And so I think products that aren't high quality is, is, is an example of that. But, you know, um, it, it's it's a good question, um, and, and where where is that line? And you, you're right. I think people that are making tough decisions or the wrong decisions don't start out wanting to do that, right? They're they they have good intentions and in trying to, hey, I have four employees or I have four thousand employees, and I need to support our team. And to support the team, we need to sell this product, right? So yeah, we know that it's cracked or cracks after a year but like right now we have this short-term need for for cash and to sell things so let's let's not communicate that um and and, and maybe folks are, are okay with that but i think that you know teeters into the world of manipulation but i i don't i don't have a great framework for you know where exactly that that starts and, and stops like you know what what is good what is good behavior right like you know i think we all have different senses of morality and i think it's important for any organization to understand the questions that need to be answered 
to make decisions, right? And it's like, okay, it's impossible to have one way to look at every problem you may occur, every moral dilemma. But if you if you can outline what are the important questions that, you know that need to be answered for your brand or for your organization to proceed with something, I think that can be that can be you know beneficial to folks to at least start put some moral boundaries in place within within a company uh, setting. That's quite good for me that you bring it up because I think we've had a, well we still haven't had a really good conversation about difference between ethics and moral in our society. I think morals have been trying to be pushed away by a lot of um, sort of a lot of movements saying that those are, you know, a thing of the past, so to speak. We need to talk about ethics, but then morals is something that's, you know, very much pertains to religion and people have sort of tried to go away from that. Uh, and, and this is something that for me is still a very big a big dark space I'm trying to explore. Um, that's sort of part of the reason why I'm making these conversations with people is because I'm trying to explore like how will I inform myself moving forward when I get new companies to work with. A couple of things that we sort of, we try not to do here um, is, you know, we don't want to deal with any political parties because uh, we honestly don't know. <laughs> You know, th th those are very tricky things to work with because they play with a, a huge aspect of human life. And honestly, I felt, well, there's this imposter syndrome when it comes to me, to, like when it comes to me understanding what takes on this big world of the polit political parties. A similar thing we've said, look, we're not going to deal with or we're not going to work with anyone in the cigarette industry. Um, or even in the sort of religious aspect, unless there are more than two religions involved, because we love the conversation, but I wouldn't be able to support a single religious doctrine just, just because we don't have the knowledge for it. So these are a couple of things that I've put for myself and for the team to just look into. Um, and because we don't know much about it, we're taking a step back, right? And it's not because I'm against, I'm just big, well, aside from cigarettes, uh, but it's because we really don't know and understanding that we can really manipulate people with our knowledge in that situation, because I don't know much about the depth of of that particular aspect of life, I'm not willing to go into, into uh, supporting those organizations. My question maybe is like, how do you inform yourself in who to work with and who possibly not to work with? Yeah, for 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 us, it's 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 pretty simple. Like, hey, if, if we if we feel like there's a, a product or service that's that's going to be adding value to communities and to to creators, we're we're all we're all for it. Um, so for us as an agency, yeah, um, we we don't work with political, um, you know, folks just because it's so so divisive, and we have our own you know team and culture. We wanna we wanna up, uphold. Um, and, and we just don't think the right way to do about it to go about it is is through political uh, approaches. Um, but we want to make sure that you know a brand's how a brand represents themselves is is actually how um, they they deliver those products and services, right? So um, we we have worked with brands in the past, whereas we've gotten into it more, um, we've we've realized that the products weren't the quality that they were 
they were uh, led on to, to be, um, and, and, and we stopped that, that relationship. Um, and, and influencers are great as, as part of that because, they look, they have a big microphone to be able to, to talk to. They're a really nice check and, and balance. And they also, uh, you know, sort of a different tact here, but they really can help brands to, with, their, with their marketing. Um, because as, as you know, it's one thing to understand something well enough to, um, to, to take action on it. And it's, it's another to understand it well enough to teach it or explain it to someone else. And influencers need to understand the brand well enough to explain it to someone so they can oftentimes be, be better in, in terms of poking holes in it. So yeah, that's maybe getting a little off the, off, off the topic, um, at, at hand, but I think there's a lot of really positive like checks and balances that influencers can have in terms of identifying what are the brands that are adding value to different you know communities out there. In fact, I do love that because I haven't gotten that before. I suppose influencers can be that filter because they have to uphold their own brand and they won't throw something out there to that will hurt them after all. So that's a very interesting sort of test or, or like filter uh, to put into. And then thanks for sharing that actually. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's one of the, the great parts about influencers. In fact, the most effective influencers are also the ones who say no to working with brands the most because they actually care about the products and services they're advocating for. But there's also influencers. And if there was to be a demise of influencer marketing, I think it would come from influencers who are willing to shill for, for anything, for, for a dollar, right? So it's sort of like, hey, in the near term, I'll, I'll advocate for it. Sure, you're going to pay me. Um, the good news is most creators are not like that <laughs> because they recognize that their channel and their trust with their audiences is, is <laughs> has a ton of value. And in, in most cases, it's very, very personal um, to, to them as well. That's great to hear that uh, from someone who does not have that experience, meaning like with influencers at, at scale, this is great to hear. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll move forward with, with another one of your quotes. And honestly, um, I will be using this, this quote for sure, because it was so short and it was so concise. And I will say it so that we can cut it and use it. Let me do that. Marketing is the cultivation of desire at scale definitely like a, a very precise quote and you know i was so happy to read this i hadn't i hadn't come across this before but i once i read this i juxtaposed this to a buddhist saying and here 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 i am talking about almost religion in in a i, I just said i don't deal with religion but i that's not exactly the case that <laughs> another does not mean i don't right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but but when we're talking about like human just like human well-being because we've been dealing with this situation for quite a while especially in the last like 20 years we've just like as a whole society we've really struggled with well-being all right so there's so i'm from kosovo um we've had a war 20 years ago 20 some years ago right so we came from like the worst of the worst and then we had this spike where everybody was moving better but lately we've sort of started feeling a little more sort of low, so to speak, overall. And we can see how our well-being is, well, at least our psychological well-being is not well um, taken care of. And so as most other cultures, we've looked into other cultures as well and what 
we can learn from in regards to to our own well-being. So I'll read first your um, your quote again, and then I'll drop it against the Buddhist very important saying. And I just want to talk about this because I'm exactly at that point where I'm working for marketing overall and versus this aspect of well-being. So marketing is the cultivation of desire at scale versus all suffering derives from desire. How do we navigate the space between? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Well, let, let's start with what, what, I, what I think is maybe an inference here, which is that suffering is negative, right? So, so certainly, you know, um, su suffering through war, you know, disease, famine, death, like, of course, right, that, that suffering is, is, is unequivocally, um, you know, uh, challenging and, and hard and, and, and bad. Maybe there's a greater good that is at play with you know, these terrible uh, side effects of, of death. But, but to, to me, like when, when I think of, of suffering, I, I don't necessarily think of it as a, as a bad thing, right? I, I think we all need to flow through suffering of some sort to accomplish anything that's, that's great, right? So if, so if we're looking at, at, at suffering as a means towards something great, then let's embrace it as the first step of a journey towards being able to achieve something that's, that's great, right? And so I guess, you know, where, I mean, who am I to, take umbrage with, with Buddha, right? But it, but like this this quote, all suffering derives from desire or, or from, from desire. It's like, okay, well, yeah, but maybe that desire is a really positive thing. Is like, is it a desire to be great? Is it a desire to accomplish something? Because I, I don't, I, I sure as hell don't want to live in a world where we're not willing to work hard and go through these sufferings to achieve something and have a better outcome. Right, like if we if we didn't want to achieve an outcome, then we wouldn't have to necessarily suffer or strain, right? Whatever whatever the, whatever the word is. But but so maybe I'm being a little bit nitpicky there in terms of this whole idea of of the word of the word suffering. But I think you know with with with, with marketing, I mean at the end of the day, things and products aren't going to make your aren't going to make you happy. Right, they're 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 just not. And if you're looking for for things to make you happy, there's a fundamental flaw in, in that in that thinking there. Um, but hey, we we do live in a flawed world, right? We don't live in a theoretical world. We live in a real world, and like you know, there's there's a lot of things that can help you and make you happier. So hey, Athletic Greens is is a client of ours, great product, and ideally, hey, we'd get enough sleep and we'd be in a position to eat healthy and well and cook meals for hours and like hey that's just not the that's just not the reality we live in and so i think a product you know like athletic greens is great for for you um in, in terms of uh, hey i take it i take it every morning and in an ideal world i need a complete diet get plenty of rest i wouldn't i wouldn't need any of it but hey given this is the real world i think this is a very you know interesting thing so yeah i i, I guess and and so Trying to cultivate that that desire for for that product, I, I think, can be a be a positive thing. But 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 it but to me, the interesting you know difference between kind of what we're, we're talking about in terms of cultivating interest in in marketing and what what you know what Buddha is saying, it's like yeah, hey, it was suffering comes from wanting something, so therefore wanting something is 
is bad because it creates suffering. I guess that that to me is is not a uh, holistic argument that that I could buy. Now, un- unnecessary suffering that's that's different, right? But suffering as part of a conscious decision to improve oneself or change things, like I'm I'm all for that sort of suffering. Okay, so that actually, so we're almost making, if I may, uh, sort of a statement that Nietzsche would probably make because he talks a lot about, you know, us having this, this perpetual need to improve ourselves, which is the meaning of life and go through through these cycles where we have to go through suffering to overcome ourselves and then continue to do that in order to improve ourselves ultimately till the the, the, the end of us, so to speak. So then I would, yeah, I, I think maybe there's, um, and I mean, it speaks, it speaks, loud to overall to the, the the Western culture, because I think Nietzsche is one of those who's put some of the founding sort of, well, not founding, but certainly one of those big steps and direction towards to to what how we know sort of the, the Western culture today. Um, and he definitely goes through this, seeing suffering as part of the meaning of life, as opposed to something that we should run away from. And I think insofar as I could hear you, that's what you're pointing at. It's the suffering that is rooted in meaning as opposed to the suffering that Buddha is talking about, the cravings and this human will to be tied to the physical world as opposed to the ultimate spiritual um, improvement of oneself. So so in, towards that definition of suffering, then, then maybe that's a very good way to look at it. And us as marketers um, or within that space, potentially coming out of, if I can sort of reformulate what you were saying, we should be looking into working to increase the desire for suffering that improves life. Would that be a decent way to put it? I think that's perfect. I love it. I love it. Yeah, much, much better said than what I had come up with. So I I like it a lot, actually. It's easy for me because I'm just listening here. So then I'm, I'm bringing things together. So thanks for sharing, man. Really appreciate this, by the way. Uh, it's it's just um, I've, I've been having all of these questions and having someone to talk to about it uh, in, in this format just uh, brings a lot of clarity. So I, I appreciate this a lot. Yeah, no, the, the, this is good. I think, you know, marketing is a is a very fascinating field because there's quantitative elements, there's psychological elements, there's philosophical elements and there's a whole lot of execution and creativity uh as as well so it i I think marketers need to sort of inherently be multidisciplinary in in what they're doing and i I don't think frankly these sorts of conversations get get enough get enough air within the marketing community so i'm 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 glad we could sort of bring bring some of these to light here yeah well I'll, i'll have um well, I have another two questions, honestly, but let's see how, how timing works for us. Uh, so we could probably go quickly through this. Uh, look, you've worked with companies that are pretty large and, you know, some of them are US based, but like Wix or, uh, you know, um, Fiverr, they're international companies. The issue with that is, as you well know, is like every culture will have a very different view on on what we think is right and wrong, right? So we live in this ethical relativist world, whether we like it or not. How do you navigate that, especially with influencers? Because it's so like so important. Um, like, or can you just maybe share an example where this sort of became an issue? Yeah, for for us, ultimately, 
mean, we're, we're dealing with individuals. So the good news is, you know, um, influencer marketing is, is a pretty borderless world um, because it, it's really it's really divided by language, not borders. So if you create a piece of content on YouTube in English, anyone who speaks English will, will watch it, right? And similarly, I personally don't don't speak German, so I'm not going to consume any content that's that's in German, right? So we we, we we within the influencer, I think it's great because one, it allows you to find sort of your tribe, and you're not forced to confine you know to go after the someone who is a celebrity from 30 years ago where you couldn't find them as, as easily, and you had 40 channels on cable, and you found a found someone that was your your tribe and followed, and now there's so many people that you can you can follow online, which is, which I think really, really powerful. But these are individuals who are making a choice around a brand. And if they think it's something that's good to, to connect with for them and their audience, and there's a million reasons why they could say no. And we've had a lot of creators say, say no to, to brands, frankly, for reasons that I haven't always understood or agreed with, but I always respect it, right? Because they know their own values and they know their audience best. And so, um, I don't necessarily have a great example of of that, but you know, some creators have thought something seemed fishy or seemed like a like a scam, and I've been like, well, look, I know it's not a scam for X Y Z reasons, you know, but uh, otherwise, I personally would have never brought it to them. But if they if they don't feel good about it, they think again they're like a really nice check and check and balance for for that. So I think. You know, we're we're not making decisions for, you know, sitting here in the United States saying this is what's what's for right, what's right or, or wrong for Australia or for England, right, or for sweet whatever. Um, no, we're we're asking an influencer what they think about sharing something with their with their community, and so ultimately, like. I'm glad I don't have to be smart enough to try to figure those things out, but if creators get to get to be sort of the, the gatekeepers in terms of what's appropriate for, for their, their community. Um, and, and we've had great luck with that. And yeah, creators in, in very subtle ways usually are going to present brands and products differently in, in one region or one nation versus, an, versus another. And that's, that's something that I think influencer marketing has been really good at is continuing to develop different points of points of view that are, are pretty effective at ultimately trying to achieve the, the same goal. Honestly, I, I find this view very humble and honest. Um, we've seen a lot of a lot of struggle around these issues during the World Cup. So soccer, football, for those in Europe, uh, like me. Uh, and, you know, there's just been a lot of conversation around these social issues. And in so far as I can hear from you, it's like allow the person to share their view from their local perspective and allow them to have their voice as opposed to impose your system of values upon them and then expect them to deliver. So I, I really appreciate that just because, you know, we on, on my end, like we're such like we're only 2 million people in this country. So like, it's not like we have a lot of like, um, content production power. So we really need to, to, um, 
get a lot of and import a lot of information from abroad, but that comes in with a lot of these different cultural values and aspects. And and you bringing this up to say, you know, well, as a brand, just like ask the local person, let them have their voice about it. I think it's just respectful to the culture itself. And I, I really appreciate hearing that. Yeah, and I think the other thing is along, along those lines, like, yeah, well, you can't define what a nation. Like, how, how are you even going to define a nation, right? I mean, even two million people—that's a lot of people. Like, everyone does not think the same way or approach things, you know, the, the same the same way, and certainly don't consume the same content either. So, I think just being able to find these pockets of of creators who, again, are, are borderless in the terms of their their audience, right? Their audiences across across nations, um, and and allows you to sort of connect and and it, you don't necessarily need to be as uh, as clean of having like exact customer personas to to go after different groups. We still use personas, honestly. I, I think they're good, but like the nuance of that can be disseminated in, in different ways through influencers. And I think they can seed good ideas too for how a brand may want to represent their, their product or, or, or service. And that's been fun to see as well. Of like, oh yeah, we never have thought about that. And I, I've heard the... the expression before of like, yeah, your, your customers come up with uh, with the best ways to describe your, your product. We, we happen to own uh, a men's flannel brand as well, Muskox, gomuskox.com is, is the website. And we've uh, had customers describe our products in, in reviews as buttery soft and built like a tank. And it was like, we never would have come up with that. That's that's brilliant. Like let's let's use that. Amazing. And listen listen to your customers. But you know, p- p- so p- point is, influencers can be great for brands in, in unique ways as well. That's that's awesome. And by the way, I did see the brand and it looked gorgeous. So plus your mission and and you know what you're doing and you know going so much for for saving the wildlife. It's a big thing. So um, well done on that one for sure. <laughs> um, I'll I'll have one last one and let you go. That. Right. Sure. But, look, man, I've personally I learned a lot from what we just talked about today. And I've I've looked into some of your content that you throw out there and it's just like great. So where can people like me um, you know, learn more about this kind of stuff? Channels, podcasts, website that you that you follow that you think have great content that we can learn from. Yeah, well, so if you're interested in learning more about influencer marketing, uh, certainly a little little plug here. Uh, go to outloudgroup.com. I mean, we do have just a ton of information up there about how to go about in influencer marketing, resources, approaches, lists of, of, of creators, um, and, and, and so forth. So, you know, please, by all means, check, check that out. And um, I'm on Twitter. I'm not super active, but I'm on there. I'm, I'm, I'm engaging. So you can you can follow me at Behoos, B-H-O-O-S. Um, and, and in terms of uh, some some social media uh, influencers that I personally follow, right? This is kind of gets into things that, that I'm that I, I nerd out about. But uh, big fan of Jocko Jocko Willink. He's a former Navy SEAL. Uh, got got a podcast, so he's 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 great. Um, really like uh, NPR's Hidden Brain. I think that's that's great. Miss Excel on on TikTok, great like little way to you know, continue to learn about ways for uh to, to use excel and um smarter every day is a great youtube channel about different ways that uh, just learn about different things that are that are happening in the world and destin the, the host is just a, a great guy a great guy who i've known known for many years so those are just a few of the the pieces of content that that i'm i'm, I'm consuming um but there I've, gosh there's there's countless you know pieces of, of great content that, that are out there 
so I really appreciate you being here and for everyone listening, make sure to like and follow and um, I'll, I will throw all the links uh, that Brad just shared so that you can follow him from there. And uh, we'll take it um, outside. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lert. Really appreciate it. Great conversation.